This is the tension we need to live in as Christians, by the way, when it comes to God. I think a huge amount of our walk is living in tensions because um, you'll find out people will land on one verse. But in the Bible, there's always verses that kind of create this tension that we're supposed to live between, right? And so you get per someone who will quote one verse, and I'm like, yeah, but there's this other verse, you know? Um, and so God reveals himself to us as both a lion and a lamb. So we're going to talk a little bit. I'm going to go very fast. I'm Irish, Italian. I grew up on the East Coast. Fasten your seatbelts. Put your crash helmets on, arms and hand inside during the ride at all times. We'll be fine. We'll get there. Okay? There we go. So I want to talk about what church is because I think nowadays it's become almost a bad descriptor, right? And um, church in the Bible is never a location. The word ekklesia in the Greek actually is borrowed from a Roman Greek culture that has to do with the people that are called together for a purpose or for a reason. Um, only nowadays when you say church, everyone thinks the building. I so long for the idea to come back when we say church, you're looking at it. So here's the trick. I'll come to the end result of the question, what's the problem with church? Well, you are. See, it was perfect till you joined it, Right? Everyone's like, oh, I want a perfect church. Well, there's so many hypocrites there. Well, saying the reason I don't go to church because there's so many hypocrites is like going to the gym saying, I won't go to the gym because there's so many out-of-shape people. You have to think that one through a little. Okay? The interesting images in the Bible about church is that there's multiple images. And what you'll find, particularly in the Western world, um, church, uh, people will land on a certain image. That's kind of their flavor or identity. And so it's a very difficult tension for us to live in because guess what the simple definition in the Bible church is? Well, two or three together in Jesus' name, there's the teaching of the word, the breaking of the bread, and communion, which is a very narrow definition, right? But, you know, the Lord sets up different people. He says there's pastors and evangelists and teachers and prophets and um, different people to help grow the church. Um, the difficulty with church nowadays is because it's been hijacked to a political end, there's very much a tribal spirit that's taken over. And so what happens, and I've been saying this every church I go to, we have to be careful of a tribal spirit because it creates underneath it a very hyper-religious and a very hyper-political spirit. And both of those spirits, whether they be attitude or literal, are about the attitude of we're right, you're wrong, we're God's favorite, you suck, um, we're in, you're out. Do you understand? It creates this very artificial binary labeling system. The church is a body, probably the best image all through the New Testament is family. Well, family is a big F word nowadays. You all have to think about this, which is why it's so hard for some of us, right? You come to church and you're like, but I want it to be like the mom and dad I never had. Well, you're just as dysfunctional. So if you have a lot of dysfunctional and wounded people, it's going to be very hard to have a healthy church. You understand? We all can't be patients. Somebody's got to be the nurses and the doctors. And so it's a process, and that's the whole tension we live in. It's a process of transformation. So, of course, they're going to be parts of the family. I always tell people, I went to churches where everyone goes, oh, I love you with the love of the Lord. And as they turn away, they go, I can't stand that person. So I always say there are a lot of people will love in church. It takes a lot more grace to like some of the people you're beside. This is a sort of trial run because some of you are going to have a dress in heaven next to people that drive you nuts. So start liking them now because it'll be easier once you get there. Okay? All right, now you're paying attention. But I want to I look at Jesus himself um, birthed the church. 
It's not an institution of men, but it, he birthed it. It was his initiation, it was his idea. The governance of it is given into our hands, which is why some churches are healthier than others. Some function one way, some function another. But the reality is, is that the overall call to church is out of Jesus' own pronouncement out of Isaiah 60, where he talks about, he's basically revealing himself as both the Messiah, but also what his mission and his ministry will look like. Well, it's the same marching orders for us, right? And in that, it's the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord is anointing me to bring, and here's the key phrase, good news to the afflicted. It's supposed to be good news, not bad news, right? The difficulty in a culture is that church is perceived as bad news. We're always telling people what they're doing wrong, what's messed up, what's morally incorrupt, you know, what, and that's part of the problem. Here's the good news. Come with your pain, God will heal it. Come with your shame, God will cleanse you. Come with your fear, he'll, he'll take it away from you. It's always invitational. It's not dismissive, right? And in that, it says to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn, giving them a garland instead of ashes, who will gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise, so that they will be called oaks of righteousness. The planning of the Lord. So that immediately establishes the flavor and the focus of the body of Christ, regardless of where we are around the world. It is action-oriented. It's not just, do you have the correct Bible verses? Do you know the correct theology? It's in light of our relationship with God and who we know him to be, we now, out of that relationship, move into a world with hope and with healing and with good news. And it's not something we always hear. See, depending on your identity with God and your intimacy with God, it's going to flavor what it looks like and what you do, right? So if you believe God is judged, then your mission's always going to be going out telling people what they're doing wrong, right? But if you believe that God is your best friend, then you're always going to be inviting people into a friend relationship with him. If you believe God is father or mother, then you're going to be inviting people into family. Do you understand? That's why it's so important that we look at the whole scope of how God himself defines church and not just one single strand of it. It's, it's the importantness of the good news that we now in the Bible, he gives us multiple images. So we're going to look at a few of those. I'll make a few comments and then um, we'll share a little more. We'll get there. The joy of the image of the church is that it's first dynamic and not just static. It's not just rigid, here we go, it's all about the rules. Does that make sense? Like, just dot the I, cross the T, do your checklist, you know. I didn't flip someone off on the freeway today. Well, at least not as many times as before, um, you know. Like, that's not what it's about. It's about relationship, which is a whole different dynamic. Some of us are wired, the rules are easier. If you were born the oldest, or you're like someone who's very this, rules are great, aren't they? Because just tell me what I should do, and then I will comply. Now, some of you are all about, tell me the rules so I can find a way to break them and go around them, right? Or the rules apply to me, uh, apply to you, but not to me, right? That's the difficulty with rules. The Bible is about principles. It's about the principle of relationship. It's not just about a moral code. And so the image in the church of the identity of the church in the New Testament, we have community, family, household, a bride. It's very relational. The image of a bride is a very feminine verb 
about the church being promised to God. We are in intimate relationship with him. These are very intimate relational words, which is why in hyper-masculine culture sometimes it's very hard for us to relate to that. We want to just be the army and the warrior, right? We just want the power. That's why I always, I travel in a lot of different churches from a lot of streams. I'm always laughing when it comes to the Holy Spirit. There'll be one camp, it's all about the fire, right? And I'm like, geez, you're burning stuff down. And then over here, there's this whole other image of the Holy Spirit that has to do with water and oil. Well, that's more comforting and intimate and emotional, and it makes us uncomfortable as men, right? That's the hard part. But we live in the tension of both. He's also the wind, right? There's all these multiple images. The other images are about saints and servants and disciples. There's a strange one about being a living sacrifice and living stones. I don't know what living stones look like. You all are probably way too young. There used to be the pet rock craze. Like, you know, remember pet rocks? They'll be back again, trust me. Um, <laughs> I had a whole yard full of pet rocks. It was great. You just, you know, paint. Anyway, let's not go there. These are my issues, and we'll move on. So, um, so I don't even know what that looks like. And then there's the image of a building, which is a place of refuge, a place of durability, a thing for a purpose, right? There's a temple. There's a building. Um, there's a truth. Sometimes it's called a holy city. Then there are these other images of a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Then there are these agricultural images, a vineyard. Like these are all descriptors in the New Testament of the church, right? A vineyard, a vine, a field, a planting of the Lord. Well, it means it's alive, and it means it's dynamic, and it grows, and it has fruitfulness, right? I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser. Right? There's these, all these images. What I love is the Bible does not land on one single image for a reason because there's a tension we have to live in with all of this, right? There are aspects of truth in every one of these uh, allegorical images. And then the, we're the salt and the light and the scent ones, right? There's another image of the church. Now, what forms most of our images is postmodern and modern art about the church that started coming in the 1800s and the late 1700s. And these are the images that most of you are familiar with. If you grew up around grandparents who went to church or parents, they usually have some type of art that some quote Christian art or image. So one would be a fortress, right? The church is a fortress or an armory. So a place that um, engages in armed conflict, there's soldiers, there's orders, there's obedience. Well, that's only one part. Then there's the other image of a lighthouse or a beacon or a city set on a hill. So a lot of times when you saw the lighthouse pictures, those were actually images for the church. Okay. Um, then we have the safe harbor or the refuge. So like if you're in a big storm, the church was a place, the storms of life, you could come and find safety. Then there's the other image of a hospital or a clinic, a place to get healed up, to get um, restored, to come to health and wholeness. And then there's a couple more here. One would be like a library or a pillar of truth. So you'll see them. They sometimes look like temples, old Roman temples. And then um, a charity or a hospital. Now, the reason I'm giving all of this is because somewhere in every church, someone's landing on the strength of one of these images, right? The difficulty is to grow into the fullness. Now, the problem is in an age of specification, people want to do one niche or one flavor. Does that make sense? And then now what we're doing is the flavor of the month, which tends to go like this. 
you know, so it's the cappuccino church, you know, whatever it is. So I always laugh, Christians nowadays, the way that we're getting footholds in, in, in the communities, everyone's starting a tea house. Do you ever notice that? I don't know where you, I travel all around. If I find another, or another Christian coffee house, I want tea houses, by the way, given my background. So I'm throwing out all these images for a reason so that they fill our understanding of what church is about, because you're the church. It's not the building, it's not the philosophy. You're the flavor of the church. Whoever you are, the local body takes that flavor, which is why some churches are gonna be a little weirder than others. Some are gonna be more staid, some are gonna be more expressive, right? Does that make sense? And um, that's great. When I was driving around the last, uh, week before last I was in Florida and I was driving to where I was gonna minister and um, all of a sudden I started hearing the Holy Spirit talk to me. I was going by these churches and I heard the Lord kept saying, oh, I love this part of my bride. Oh, I love this part of my bride. Oh, I really love this part of my bride. And see, God is a God who loves all the various expressions of his body. He loves the various, and he seems to give us latitude with that, which is why it doesn't have to be one size fit all, right? That's the joy of your identity. The background of, and the difficulty in nowadays is that churches are getting hijacked by extremes, right? You have a very strong word center, spirit center identity that's very hard to maintain in an era that wants to be all worship, Father, Son, Holy Word, right? It's all about dot every I, cross every T, literal everything which has a whole bunch of luggage attached to it about men and women's roles and politics and everything else, or the hyper name it, claim it, and I shame you because you don't got it, right? Some of you are tracking. And it's all hyper smoke the Jesus bong. Most of the time they look stoned out of their heads. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Um, I'm sorry, I just said that. Lord forgive me in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All right, there we go. So anyway, all that to say that horse went riding by and I didn't climb on it, thank God. Um, all that to say is it's very hard to live very real and authentic in the middle, right? Because one, both, one is your, your own project, I'm just fixing myself, and the other one's I'm trying to fix the world. You know, one is about looking a certain way, one is pretending I look that way because eventually, hopefully, I will. And then there's this authentic place of being people of the word and the spirit where we authentically come and say, well, I'm pretty screwed up, but somehow God had mercy on me. And I'm going through process. I don't know it all. And what I do know is good for this season, but it may change for next season. There are unmovable truths about God, but I discover more of those. Are you tracking with me? So we build and we grow the church at the same time. That's why there's the building images and the growing images. And if you understand, again, who you are in Christ, it will affect everything that you say and do as a people, as a body, as, as, as you are. The thing is, I want to spur the church on to be agents and advancers of the kingdom. I don't want to just be an ambassador. Agents affect change. They advance the work of God. Well, some of the ways we advance the kingdom that d gets missed is you go out and you feed the poor. You wash the feet of the saints. You clothe the naked, right? Jesus always and everywhere throughout the Bible when he talks talks about that the gift of salvation is free, but the effect of that salvation will spur us on to activity. Do you understand the difference? I'm not earning my salvation, but because he loves me, I now want to affect change in the world. Right? And so we are always resourced from God. We don't want to just be a social option on the menu. 
See, I've lived in certain spiritual streams that they forgot where they started from, so now they're just a social organization. Well, they left behind the power for transformation, which is I'm not just trying to challenge systems, I'm also inviting people to transformation. The danger in the present age is we see evil systems, well, people create those systems. So you can try to leverage a system, but if you're not changing the people who are operating that system, nothing happens. Right? So the invitation, and this is the hard part for us as believers, and it offends me to no end, is not just to the oppressor, but also the oppressed, right? In a culture that only identifies with victims, we are missing the power of the gospel that calls the victimizer to accountability and to transformation. See, Jesus calls us enemy. While we were yet enemies, he loved us. And so the gospel invitation is to all. Make sense? And that bugs me to no end. There are certain people I'm like, thank God I don't have a spiritual taser. You'd be in the third rung of hell. <laughs> or at least purgatory if you're from that stream. Okay? Do you understand? And yet God says, come all, all of you. And that's the offense of the gospel. I always laugh when I, I tell my atheist friends, you have a lot more faith than I do. Because the gospel of salvation is pretty simple. You have separation from God. God said you can't fix it. You can't do anything about it. But here's me. I'll help you. Here's my gift. Take it. Well, that's pretty offensive because everything in me wants to do like all sorts of rituals and activity and jump through hula hoops and tell God how great I am. One morning, I was this last week, I had a new revelation from the Lord. I was standing and he said, watch this kid. And um, I, I'm a school teacher by trade. And um, I used to teach in elementary school like this. And um, it was a little toddler and the toddler was just learning to walk. How many of you have kids or seen kids? Look, this is the loaded question. Okay, just want to make sure. Sometimes you all look at me like deer in the head like, children, what are those? Oh, an inconvenience. I forgot. Um, anyway, um, there's little things. Well, um, so I'm watching the kid uh, uh, run and fall, run and fall, and keep looking back at mom and dad. Well, of course, it's always when you want to get them that they run away, right? That's the whole game. But all of a sudden, the Lord starts to me, and he goes, this is the way you are with me. And I was like, well, that's fairly offensive. Um, at least I'm out of diapers, I hope. Um, and so I was saying, he goes, no, watch. And as um, the parent picked the kid up, and the kid was worming and squirming, right? And then there was a moment of settling, and it was so sweet to watch because the kid settled, and the kid started doing what all toddlers do with your face. They, they start touching your face. And they're like playing with your nose and your mouth and, you know, they do all this in your ears. And the Lord said, this is what you need to do with me. If you would let me hold you, then you will touch my face. Then you'll touch my eyes. You'll see what I see. You'll hear my words because you're touching my mouth. You'll hear what I want you to hear when you're touching. And that intimacy. But most of the time I'm trying to do so much for God, I don't stay still long enough to hear what he thinks about me. So some of you that are having a hard time connecting either with the concept or the person of God, the most difficult thing to start with for all of us is, God, tell me what you think about me, right? Now, some of you think you're like the best thing since sliced bread, and so God's going to have to like, mm, just not quite. And some of you, you're going to be like, I'm just the scum of the universe, and God's going to be like, no, not quite that bad either. You're my child. That's the thing about kids. I, they have no job. Oh, my God. They, they are like, you know, they don't contribute to the economy. They're constantly demanding. They 
poop and boy they learn how to do some creative things with that diaper and you know and then and they they always need to be fed I'm like once a week should have been enough okay come on be a turtle and you know and this whole thing and yet what we still love them why cuz they're ours well how much more is the father the same with us the largest images of the church and our relationship with God in all the New Testament is, is him as father and us as child, not because of the masculinity. So for those of my friends who are into gender politics, let's ride a little and you'll get through this. It is an image of the great initiator, the one who names us. That's the only reason that pronoun's there. Do you understand? God is both male and female. Both reflect the image and the nature of who God is. So access those images, right? Lord, show me your mothering side. That'll mess you up big time, right? Especially for those of us who have mom issues. I don't have mom issues. I had the great Irish mom. Anyway, everyone's mom's great. Well, it's just all of a sudden that horse came and I went, ooh, we're going to get into some therapy right now. Let's not go there. All right. What I'm trying to invite us to is to understand, once you understand how much God loves you and your identity with God, then the church takes on that flavor. We're his kids. He loves us. And because he loves us and we experience his mercy, we then get to go into a world and express that mercy in all its different forms. We feed the poor. We, we clothe the homeless. Do you understand? It's the activity comes out of the relationship. Because God has had mercy in us, I can have mercy on others. You know, the power to forgive sins is one of the things the church doesn't usually claim. Jesus breathed on the disciple and said, I breathe on you. Forgive men's sins. That's a pretty interesting claim and, it, and, and a commissioning toward the church. Go and be the bridge between those who are hurting and those who have hurt. Be the voice that speaks there. We get the privilege, and what happens is, one of the titles of Jesus in this whole thing, if you read through the New Testament, is he's called the second Adam. And it's such a strange term about Jesus. Paul sets up this very interesting theological discourse. Well, here's the point of it. Okay, what didn't work in the first garden, I'm now reestablishing. I am redeeming a healthy and a whole family. Family is defined by blood. The blood of Christ defines all of us who follow him. That makes us all family. It breaks every barrier. It creates connection where there was divides. It creates invitation where there was exclusion. That's the identity of the church. And who wouldn't want to be a part of that? We're called, not just driven. And I felt like one of the reasons that the Lord wanted to just remind us of this because it recenters us in the middle of activity but also in relationship to realize, remember the toddler story, that if you take nothing else away today, take that. Because he's the lion that roars against everything that hurts and destroys my life and destroys his, uh, the planet we live on and destroys people and keeps them oppressed. But he's also the lamb that is also meek. His power is tempered by his meekness. He always lives in a tension that's always hard for us. We want to be one or the other, right? And so this morning, I just felt like God wanted to set in front of you, come join the family. Come be the family of God. You know, orphans are not very friendly people. We think of them as lost puppies. I worked with orphans for years. They bite, they steal things, they, they set things on fire. If I could get through a day where something wasn't burned, I was a miracle of God. I would like extinguisher service, 
they run away, they hit you, they punch you. Like, they've had a lot of trauma. We think of them as lost puppies. Oh my God, you'll just be, you'll just, I can hug you, you're so cute, you'll just want to be held. No, they won't. They, they, they slap you for hugging them. Because touch sometimes gets associated with bad things. Right? Or they've had none of it, and so they have, their brains are not wired to see it as this is comforting and good. But over time, they transform. Well, orphans come in all shapes and sizes. They're not just little people. Sometimes they're big people. I was ministering at a place, and we're going to do some of this right now, um, where I walked by this man, and, and the Holy Spirit, it's a gift of prophecy, word of knowledge. The Lord, I started hearing that old Kansas song, All We Are Is Dust in the Wind. This is my world. You'll understand this in a minute. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And, and, it kept, and I kept hearing it, and I kept hearing it. And so I looked at him, and, and so I'm standing up front like this. I go, dude, every time I look at you, all I hear is dust in the wind. And he starts laughing his head off. And I said, okay, can we laugh together? So I get the inside joke. Well, part of what happens in my ministry of sharing words is God is affirming people's identity. He says, I know you. I name you. Guess what his name is? Dustin. Guess why he was named Dustin? Because his hippie parents got high at a Kansas concert and went, oh, my God, Dustin the wind. It's a cool name to call our son. Why don't we call him Dustin? What you miss is that God in that moment stepping down saying, I was part of that process because he had a lot of issues surrounding his family of origin. But the Lord redeeming that name, saying, you are mine, right? And naming. The battle in our lives is twofold. One, what names you claims you and shames you. But besides that battle, it's not about whether you're going to follow Jesus or follow the Bible. It's about whether you're going to fulfill the call God has over your life, right? Because every one of you has been given marching orders to do certain things that will affect others and the, and the world for good, which is why everything is a battle from that point on. When I was little, I battled nonstop nightmares. Do you know why? Because guess what? One of the largest ways God talks to me, dreams. I used to be afraid of speaking. If you told me I'm doing this now when I was, like, young, I'd be laughing my head off. My teachers taped my reports down because I'd be shaking so bad I would tear them for fear. Because the battle was shut you down and shut you up because God has already said, I'm going to have you talk to people. So now I'm gonna, the enemy's like, no, you're shy and you're, you're, you, you understand? That's the battle of most of your lives. So the Lord sees you and cares about you. Now, the gospel is not just a gospel word. So I talked to you about church, talked about some of the identities. You'll forget most of the things except maybe one image. That's great. Here's what I want you to see. The gospel is a gospel of power, too. God steps into your lives and shows up and says, I name you. So I'm going to share a few things he's showing me about some of you. And then we're going to have a ministry time. And then it's going to be good. So relax.